uh, this morning we're starting a new, a new section in the book of Hebrews. So uh, we've called the series Jesus Better uh, because that's the, really the big theme of the whole book is that Jesus is better than everything that came before him. Uh, really, uh, the, the book is about how uh, everything in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant as it's called, was, um, uh, was good and, and great and, and pointed to Jesus. That's all it was for. It was a, a signpost to symbolize what was to come. And so uh, the first section we looked in chapters 1 and 2, I think we have a slide up here, Ethan, if we can. Um, uh, the first section, chapters 1 and 2, was, was about the angels and how Jesus is actually better than the angels, uh, that they are God's messengers, um, and they brought message, a message from God, messages from God, but there is a greater messenger and a greater message, Jesus, who is both those things. He is both the, the message and the messenger. And so the warning there in that section, in the first section, was that don't neglect this great salvation. Hebrews 2 verse 3, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And in this new section we're starting, we'll look over the next few weeks, chapters 3 to 5, uh, he, he turns his attention, the author turns his attention to Moses and the promised land. Um, that, that Moses was this great leader, we're going to hear about that today. Like Moses was an incredible leader for, for Israel, um, but Jesus is better than Moses. The leadership of Jesus is far greater than anything Moses had to offer. And then next week and the following weeks, we're going to see that, 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 that Jesus is even better than the, the rest and, and the, the, the home that the, the Israelites received in the promised land. That Jesus is our final rest. That Jesus is our promised land. And so the whole point of this book is showing that, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the everything that's come before. And this is really just to show us where we are and where we're going. And the idea here is that we are to, to follow Jesus' uh, leadership, that we are to follow him as he leads our church, and not really throw that off, not rebel against that. And so that's where we are today. We're starting in chapter 3. So if you have a Bible with you, um, just turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Um, we're going to be in the first few verses of that this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a few at the back. You can just go and grab one if you need one. And if you don't own a Bible, just take that Bible home with you. That's, uh, that's yours to keep. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Turn that up uh, um, and just keep it in front of you as we go through because we're going to be keeping going back to this scripture. So let's read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our, conf our, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Um, in, in, in June this year, uh, you might remember this in the news, uh, in Bristol, there was a statue of a guy called Ed Edward Colston um, that was torn down, and the people tore down the statue and then uh, threw it in the harbor in Bristol. You probably saw it on the news. Um, and be when that happened, I started like thinking about, well, who is this guy? Why were they tearing the statue down? It turns out Edward Colston was an English politician, um, but more than that, he was a slave trader. He made a lot of his money uh, trading slaves. And so I did some research, and I found that between 1680 and 1692, that's 12 years, 
It's estimated that his company transported over 84,000 African men, women, and children to the Caribbean and to the Americas. 84,000. And historians reckon that probably as many as 19,000 of them died on the journey. So then the question is, why is there a statue of him in the first place? Like, why is this guy being revered? Why would, why would the city of Bristol, at least at one time, want to honor this man? And so I did some more research, and I really, really, really don't want to downplay the atrocities that he committed for making money, but, but he also did a lot of good in Bristol. I hope that's not the soundbite that some of you uses. Um, he, he, he supported schools. He supported churches. Uh, he, he built hospitals. He cared for the poor. He, he built these houses for the poor. And so he did. He used his wealth, his ill-gotten wealth, um, to do a lot of good. And so he was a man with a really, really mixed past. He wasn't just someone who did all bad or someone who did all good. And shortly after Coulston's statue in Bristol was torn down, there's a statue of Winston Churchill in London, which is still there, but that was graffitied. Uh, and, and someone had spray-painted on it that, um, you know, Churchill was a racist. Now, we know, and most of us, it will depend on your background, I guess, most of us know that, that, that Churchill, we learned this in school, that Churchill uh, led Britain during the war, and, and he fought against the tyranny and fascism of Nazi, Nazism, and and, and actually, it's, it'd be impossible to calculate how many lives he saved because if the Nazis had won the war, like how many more people would have died under that regime? But that's only one side of his story. There's another side of his story too. Churchill has murky parts to his life as well. Some historians, a lot of historians now will actually, will actually say that he caused a famine that killed millions in India during the war. And, and my point is that if, you, if we look deep enough if we look deep enough at anyone's life, you realize that, that um, these people that are revered and are heroes, they, all, they, they have mixed pasts. They have murky pasts. These heroes that, that people want to worship, not worship, but revere, and people we look up to in idols in history, uh, they have faults. When we look at these people in detail, we realize that they're, they're not perfect, and, and, and in most cases, they're far, far from it. And just because people are remembered for doing great things doesn't mean that they only did great things. At one time, people only remembered the great things that Edward Coulson did in Bristol. And this is true for every hero, every human figure that we honor, just like the people honored Moses in Hebrews. And so you see, the closer we look at every human hero, the more flaws we see. The closer we look, the more flaws we see. But the opposite is true for Jesus. The opposite is true for him. For many people, it's, it's, it's devastating when, when uh, they find out that one of their heroes is full of flaws and did terrible things. Uh, it makes people question their beliefs and, and their values, even their morality. Um, uh, people are now having to for, live, are, are forced to think about, is Churchill this great man? How do we balance this, this good and this, this, this great good and this great evil? But it's not the case for us, right? Because our hero isn't just some person of history. We're different. We don't put our hope in human heroes. We don't trust in the best that humanity has to offer. Because our hope isn't in someone who has flaws or a murky side to his past or somebody that just did a handful of good things. Our hope is in someone who is perfect, someone whose past is glorious, someone who didn't just do good things but who is the very embodiment of good. 
It's different for us as Christians because, as Hebrews 3 verse 1 tells us, we have a heavenly calling. Listen to what verse 1 says again. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. See, we as Christians, we are holy brothers and sisters, and we have a heavenly calling. That's something that we have, the thing we have in common that we share is this heavenly calling. Now, See, when we read little things like that in the Bible, little descriptors like holy brothers and sisters, sharing a heavenly calling, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, I got that. I'm going to skip over that. But actually, I want to stop here for a minute because so often the authors of, of the Bible will pack so much theology into these little words. And I want us to consider what these things uh, mean. I don't think we can afford to skip over that we are holy brothers and sisters and, and that we share in a heavenly calling. These words, holy brothers and sisters uh, who share in a heavenly calling, they tell us uh, so much about who we are and how we are to live in the world. So let's consider them. Firstly, we're brothers and sisters, right? This is something that you should know by now. We talk about this a lot in Village, that we are uh, brothers and sisters of each other and of Jesus, and God is our Father. We're family. God has adopted us as sons and daughters, and now we belong to one another. So we have unity. We are a family. And as a, as a, it's a unity, it's a family bond that's going to last for all of eternity. And not only that, but we are holy brothers and sisters. Why does he, why does he put this in front of the, the brothers and sisters bit? Well, the New Testament uses this word uh, a lot to talk about the people of God. Now, um, I, I, most of you probably don't think of yourself as very holy, or you probably don't feel very holy. Uh, I certainly don't, but, but we are holy. And it just means that we're set apart by God, right? Uh, and that we are, are, have been made pure by God, right? So in the Old Testament, the people that are uh, hearing this uh, book of Hebrews for the first time, they would have, they would have instantly thought of the, the, the Old Testament Israelite, Old Covenant idea of holiness, where, where holiness uh, and purity were really important concepts because they knew that God was perfect. God is perfect and, and pure. And so in order to be close to him, uh, they had to be made pure. And so this was done through sacrifices and ritual cleansing. If you had certain types of diseases, you had to stay out of the, outside of the camp, stay at a distance. That wasn't a way of just making sure everyone didn't get sick, although it did that too. But it was to symbolize that, that sin is the cause of sickness and death. And so you can't be close to this holy God and his presence in the, in, in the tabernacle in the center of the camp. Once a year, they had the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where they would, where they would, uh, the, the high priest would offer sacrifices, and the blood of the sacrifice would would make the people clean and pure, so they could be close to God. But our holiness and our purity, the fact that that, this, that Hebrews can call us holy brothers and sisters, doesn't come from uh, the sacrifice of, of animals, but it comes from the sacrifice of Jesus and His work on the cross to to to, to make us pure. His perfect sacrifice for sin makes us pure. So that's why we are a family of brothers and sisters, and we have been made pure and holy. We've been set apart from the world. And so the question then is, well, what does this matter? Why is he saying this? Why, why do we want to say this? Well, according to Hebrews 3 and verse 1, uh, we're, we're not just holy brothers and sisters we also share in a heavenly calling. That's what this means. It's all a package deal. If you're a Christian, you're, a holy, uh, you're holy and you're a brother or sister in the church, but you also share in this heavenly calling. And this heavenly calling that we all have in common, it's to do with our identity and our destiny. It tells us who we are and it tells us where we're going, if you like. 
And it's crucial for us to know who we are. And, and so much of the struggle in life, uh, I find in my life, and I'm sure you guys are the same, is that, that we struggle with things in the world because we don't really know who we are. We don't have ultimate confidence in it. We don't take ultimate confidence in it. So we, we think that we're the sum of our failures or the sum of our fears. We think that we are just an abuse victim or someone who's been neglected. We think that we're just our social status or we think that we're just our job title or our lack of job title. And if our identity comes from these things, well, of course we're going to be disappointed, aren't we? Of course we're going to be frustrated. Frustrated that we're not more or not better or not different or maybe not like everyone else. But what we need to focus on, what we need to hear or be reminded of is that if we are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then you have a heavenly calling. It's about your identity and your destiny. This is a calling from heaven, and it's a calling to heaven. The calling from heaven says that, that you're not what your parents or your boss or social media tells you that you are. No, if, you're a, if Jesus is your Savior, if Jesus is your Lord, then your identity is that you've been called by God to himself, that God has called you to himself. He said, hey, you're my child, and I want you to be with me. I want you to be a, a part of my family. You are first and foremost somebody that God has adopted into his family. God is delighted with you, and he's made you his child. That's who you are. I think if we spent more time thinking about that, our lives would just be a lot more joyful, a lot more thankful. You are de- God is delight- delighted in you, and he has made you his child. So that's our calling from heaven. God has called us from heaven, if you like. Secondly, then the calling to heaven. We looked at this last week. If you're in Jesus, if Jesus is your Savior, then you are on this journey to heaven. The ultimate destiny of your life is that you're on a journey to be in glory, uh, in the new creation, with God, in the presence of Jesus forever. That's where we are heading. That's what all of this is about. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We're following followers of Jesus to glory, to be in his presence, fully with him forever. And this means, these, both, both these together means that, 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 that your life is, is about far more than what you manage to achieve in the 70 or 80 years that, that, you're, that you're here. Your life is much bigger than this. Your destiny, our destiny, guys, is that, that we will uh, reign over all of creation with Jesus forever. That's where we are headed. And so this heavenly calling that we as, as a family, as brothers and sister, sisters share in, is about our identity and our destiny. It's about who we are and where we're going. And so both of these parts of our heavenly calling, our identity and our destiny, have a bearing on how we live here and now. Why? Well, I was trying to think about how to explain this, and then I thought of... Um, I thought of... Um, if, if, you, if you want to set off the drive to Dublin, right... You can't just get in a car and go in any direction. That doesn't make sense. You have to actually go follow the road to Dublin, right? You actually have to follow, the, the, go in the direction of Dublin. That's about our destiny. We set our destiny, okay? And, and, and also, on top of that, you can't just drive in any, own, or any old way. You have, to drive, you have to obey the rules of the road. <laughs> what, I, mean, I mean, I've definitely not done that the whole way to Dublin. I've definitely sped down that M1 quite a lot. But anyway... Um, you have to obey the rules of the road. You can't just be bashing into the cars or smashing through the toll booth because you won't get there. The police will stop you. It's about how you drive on the road and the direction you're driving in as well. 
This is why our heavenly calling has to shape our lives. It has to inform how we live here and now. It's about who we are and where we're going. It's our identity and our destiny. Our heavenly calling uh, determines the kind of people we, will, we are now and the people we will be forever. So our lives are now and forever will be characterized by the values of the kingdom of heaven. See what I mean? So what God thinks is important, that's what we think is important. What, what God values, that's what we value. What, what God hates, we hate. What God is for, we are for. What God uh, is against, we are against. Our value system, as we live in this world, is the value system of heaven because we, are, we have this heavenly calling, a calling from heaven and a calling to heaven. In other words, we have been called by God to live heavenly lives here and now. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 to 4, listen, this is incredible. Um, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see this idea of identity and destiny? In other words, your calling and identity are from heaven and are leading you to heaven. And our lives then are to be character, characterized by the qualities and the values of heaven. That's why Paul here in Colossians 3 says, seek the things of heaven. Go after them. To, to seek after the things above and not things that are on the earth. It doesn't mean that we don't care about things on earth. That's not about just, you know, parking the bus and just waiting for Jesus to return. That's not what he's saying at all. But the way we interact with the world and the way we care for the things of the world is in line with how God cares about the things of the world. So, so, so the environment and, and politics and our children and education and our jobs, all these things, whatever it is, they all take on a different uh, meaning when we value them in the right way and we see them the way God sees them. And so the question then is, if, if, I mean, if we, if we are to seek things that are above, if we are to have the same values of heaven, how do we do this? What does it mean for us really to live as holy brothers and sisters with a heavenly calling? Well, the author of Hebrews, I think, tells us, I know we're just at verse one, but don't worry, it's fine. Um, we'll get there. The author of Hebrews tells us in verse one, he says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Uh, it's funny, this week I was chatting to somebody and I was saying, it feels like every week in Hebrews I'm just preaching the same sermon over and over again. And he was like, well, that's your job, so just get on with it. And it is what my job is. My job is. And, and, and he actually pointed out that my job is, is Hebrews 3.1. Consider Jesus. My job is to lead you to consider Jesus. I want us to all spend more time considering Jesus, to think about him, to give more thought to Jesus. Because that's really what it means to consider Jesus. It's not just about thinking about him once in a while. Sometimes you only think about Jesus. Here's when, here's when it's most natural for me to think about Jesus. Uh, when I do something wrong, <laughs> then I consider Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Or when I'm in trouble, oh, Lord, I really need your help. Is there anyone else like that where it's like, those are kind of the most, two most natural times for me to consider Jesus. But, but to consider Jesus uh, here in Hebrews 1, it's, it's to be fixated on him, to be infatuated with him, to, to, to be earnestly devoted to him. It's to set our mind on him. 
Consider Jesus. This word consider, it has this idea of meditation. Now that's maybe something that, that absolutely terrifies you, the idea of sitting down and meditate. Uh, maybe it's com- some completely unknown or, or, or strange to us. Uh, maybe it's something uh, that even if you wanted to do, you'd think, well, how on earth? I mean, have you seen my life? Like, I've got like two young kids running about all the time. How am I supposed to ever do that? And I know this is hard to do. And there's never been a time, I think, when it's been so easy to be distracted, right? Like, I, I've talked about this a lot through Hebrews, that I, I can't sit down without lifting my phone to look at my phone. Um, distraction is everywhere. It's painful to put down our phones. I saw this video this week. Uh, go online, look it up. Uh, it, uh, these guys called Speak Life put it out, and it was this video about uh, if, if, phones were, if phones were Bibles. And so the guy wakes up in bed and he, his alarm going off and he reaches over and hits his Bible and then he straight away picks up his Bible and starts to read and then he's at work and his boss tells him to do something. He keeps glancing at his Bible, open it like that and then eventually he's just on his Bible and then he's in the bathroom, his wife's knocking the door and she's like, come on, it's been 20 minutes and then he's like, okay, I'll be out in a minute, just on his phone and then eventually it goes on and goes on and he ends up crashing his car because he's like reading his Bible while he's driving. Um, but but there's, a, there's a truth to that. Like, what do we actually consider? And I guess my point is it's so easy to be distracted that, that, that if we're not careful, the things that distract us will shape our worldview more than Jesus does. And if we're going to be really serious about considering Jesus, then we're going to have to change a lot of our habits. Listen, if we want our worldview to be shaped uh, by Jesus, if we want to live out this heavenly calling that we have, if we're serious about this, then we will need to change a lot of our daily habits. Probably most of us will have to change how we live. And so ask yourself, how can that look for you? What do you need to change in your daily routine to spend more time thinking about and praying to Jesus? Is there a time in your day when you find yourself naturally not doing anything that you could take 15 minutes Go for a walk and pray. Go for a walk with Jesus. Or, or, or is there a time when you could sit down and just open your Bible? What do you need to sacrifice in order to spend time with Him? It may be that you need to sacrifice uh, 15 minutes in bed in the morning. Or it may be that you need to sacrifice uh, an episode of that show on Netflix in the evening. It may be that you're going to have to, uh, if you're a couple, support each other, give each other freedom, time to do that. Spend time with Jesus. What needs to change in your life so that we can uh, do what this is telling us to do? Sharing in that heavenly calling, as we are as brothers and sisters, to consider Jesus. And I know this is hard. I find it hard too. In fact, I have to admit, I think it's harder for you guys than it is for me because my, it's a lot of my job is, is I, have to, I get time to do this stuff. But it's important, and here's why it's important. Because everybody has a worldview. Um, and inevitably, your worldview is shaped by what you spend your time taking in, what you spend your time thinking about. It's true for all of us, and you probably don't realize it. You, everyone, we all probably think, well, no, I'm independent. I make up my own mind about what I believe and what I think about this. But we all probably have views about things, that we don't, and we don't know why we have these views. We just assume them. We're all shaped by what we take in and, and what we spend most of our time thinking about and considering. And we don't even realize it's happening. And so uh, here's the thing. Our worldview is either shaped by, by Jesus or by things that are not Jesus. And we have to choose which one we want. We have to choose. And so if what, if what you spend 
most of your time thinking about isn't Jesus, then your worldview is going to be shaped mostly by things that aren't Jesus. And this shouldn't be the case for us. We have a heavenly calling, remember? That's why we need to consider these things above. We need to set our minds on things above. We need to consider Jesus. Remember, we have that heavenly calling. Our identity and our our destiny are different from everyone else, different from the world. We're on a different path, and so we must consider Jesus so that our worldview is shaped by him. And that's my encouragement for us this morning, to consider Jesus. Can we, can we uh, work out how to let him consume our thoughts? Ask him to consume our thoughts. Let him shape our worldview. Let, let, let's say, Jesus, I want you to be the, the thing that I'm fixated on, the thing that I can't stop thinking about. And ask ourselves, what is it that we have to sacrifice? What is it that we have to change so that our lives will be fixated on Jesus. So what is it about Jesus that we have to consider? Because in reality, um, here's, here's what's going to happen. In, in, in eternity, in the new creation, when God has come and re- restored the earth and redeemed the earth and we will be with him, we're going to spend all of eternity just considering Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be marveling at his glory and we're never going to reach the end of it, right? It's not like, look, it's not like looking over the lives of those you, you know, heroes of the past and, and the closer we get, the more we, we, we don't like about them. It's the opposite with Jesus. The more we look at Jesus, the more we find to look at. The more we look at Jesus, the more we discover uh, to, to, to love and to worship and to praise. And that's what it's going to be like for Jesus. It's infinite. Do you ever, uh, I do some of these things where I finish a, a novel or a box set or a film, uh, particularly those things, and I'm always a wee bit sad, like, ah, that was good. I'm going to miss them. That was good. Um, it's not like that with Jesus. We will never reach the end. There is no end to the depth of his riches. There is no end of what we can discover or enjoy or worship in him. And, and while there is no end to what we consider about Jesus, uh, this passage gives us a, 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 a couple of specific things that the author wants to bring our attention to. So firstly, he mentions that Jesus is our apostle and our high priest. Now, both of these characteristics of Jesus are really, really important. And by being both of these things, by being both apostle and high priest, Jesus meets the two most fundamental human needs. Our two most fundamental needs. Um, Scientists used to say that that humans had three uh, basic needs, which were food and water, which is one. So uh, food and water, uh, shelter, and clothing. Those were your basic needs. But now it's kind of considered more than that. And now um, it's food and water, shelter, clothing, uh, sanitization, education, healthcare. Those are kind of your basic needs. But I think that what the Bible tells us, right throughout the Bible, tells us that there are two things that human beings need even more than those things. Two things that we need that Jesus provides for us. Because we can have all those things. We can have, most of us do have all those things. If you don't have uh, those basic needs, those food and water and shelter and clothing and education and healthcare, please come and help, let us help you. But we can have all those needs met and still miss out on the fundamental needs of every human being. And the Bible tells us that these two things are to hear from God and to be brought back to God. We need to hear from God and we need to be brought back to Him. We need a revelation from God and we need reconciliation with God. In other words, we need a word from God and we need a way to God. Those are the most fundamental needs of every human being. 
We need to hear from God and to be brought close to Him. Think about it. We've been cut off from God because of our sin and we have no way back to Him. And unless He reveals Himself to us, we have no way of ever knowing that we need Him. And so we need revelation and reconciliation. And this is what Jesus does for us as our apostle and our high priest. Because these, uh, these things, these two t- words here, they're not just old words with a kind of uh, obscure meanings. They're, they're deep, deep truth. So firstly, an apostle, you're like, well, why is he calling Jesus an apostle? Aren't the apostles the apostles? Well, yes. But in this sense, Jesus is also an apostle. Uh, the word apostle just means sent one. Somebody who's sent. That's what an apostle is. Someone who is sent by God to, to go and tell what they know about God. And so the 12 apostles, we see that in the Great Commission, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what he says. Uh, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that you've been taught. That's what he says. They are sent. But in the same way, Jesus has been sent by God, the Father, with a specific message and with a specific job to do, with a specific mission to complete. Jesus is an apostle in that sense. He brings that word of God to us. He is that word of God to us. But not only that, Jesus is our high priest. Uh, in the Old Testament, the high priest, uh, they had the job of being a, a go-between. They were the go-between God and the people, right? So the high priest represented the people to God. Uh, he would perform the sacrifices and, and uh, purify the people so that they could come close to God. The high priest was responsible for making a way to God. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has made a way to God for us. He has represented us to God. He is our high priest who has made the sacrifice for our sin. He is both the high priest and the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice for our sin. He makes us pure before God and therefore he makes a way to God. So as being both the apostle, the one who is sent by God, and the high priest, the one who makes a way to God, Jesus meets our two most fundamental needs, to hear from God and to be brought close to God. Revelation and reconciliation, a word from God and a way to God. That's what Jesus does for us. And it's that that the author is trying to get us to consider. Consider Jesus who has, who has, has, has been sent by God and who brings you to God. Consider Jesus. Marvel at this, he's saying. Without Jesus, we don't know God and we don't have a way to God. Without Jesus, we are and always will be lost. Without Jesus, our our two most fundamental needs will never be met. No wonder, back in Colossians 3 where I read earlier, Paul says that Christ is all. That's what he's marveling at. That's what he's considering. And he's trying to get the Colossians to consider that too. Christ is all. Consider this Jesus. So, so this week when you are making time to consider Jesus, think about this. He, he, he has met your two most fundamental needs. That he has, he has made God known to you and he has brought you to God. Imagine that. Consider that. Meditate on him. Marvel at him. Praise him. Worship him for who he is and what he has done. He has made God known and he has brought you to God. Christ is all. Consider Jesus. Secondly then, uh, Jesus isn't just our apostle or high priest. 
Uh, this passage tells us that, that Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, for us, we're like, okay, big deal, know that, whatever. But you have to put yourself in the position of the Israelites here, the Hebrews here, hearing this for the first time, right? Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's actually really hard for us to find somebody uh, that we would have in common that holds as high a status uh, as Moses did for the Hebrews. Like, he was more than just a national treasure. He was an absolute hero. Um, he was revered. So, some, there was actually some Jewish teaching that said that, that he was higher than the angels, which is why I think the Hebrews starts with the angels and says, oh yeah, G- Jesus is great. He's higher than the angels. But Moses is, Jesus is actually also better than Moses. He was higher than the angels in your mind. See, Moses was the main man. Moses uh, was when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Moses was the one who, who rescued them to freedom. He brought them through the desert and right to the edge of the promised land. He, he was seen as the greatest of, of all Israel's leaders and prophets. Like if you're an ancient Israelite, then there's nobody greater than Moses. Um, and, and it wasn't just the people. Uh, Numbers 12 tells us that, that what God himself actually says about Moses. This is what he says. Num- this is Numbers 12, verses 6 to 8. He said, and this is God speaking. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make, him, make, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So what God is saying is, I do speak with my prophets and I share things with them uh, through visions and dreams. But then he goes on. He says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, I'm not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. You see, Moses had this special honor. He actually saw God face to face. He spoke with God face to face, like the way we speak right now. That's, it was actually, he was so close to God that when he would go, he went up Mount Sinai and spoke to God and received the law, that he had to cover his face when he came back down because he was glowing. Can you imagine seeing that? I would love to know what it looks like. Like see him glowing and, and the people couldn't look at Moses because he had been close to the almighty God. This is the honor that Moses has. So uh, Hebrews here is not saying that Moses isn't great or that Moses shouldn't be revered, but he, but he is saying that Jesus is better. And so not only do the people hold Moses in high regard, but, but God himself holds Moses in high regard. But Jesus is greater. There's, there's absolutely no doubt that, that Moses was just pointing forward to Jesus, what we call a type of Jesus. He was a foreshadow. He was pointing forward to Jesus, right? So think about their lives. When, when Moses and Jesus were both born, the kings at the time were killing all the baby boys, Okay? Um, when they were both born, both Moses' parents and Jesus' parents protected them and hid them from that persecution. So, so Moses' mother and father hid him in this basket. Remember, you maybe heard the stories as, as kids to hide him from the to hide him from the, the the soldiers who would come and kill him. Jesus' mom and dad took him actually to Egypt to to run away from what Herod was doing. Moses, just like Jesus, was appointed by God to deliver his people from slavery. That's the job that Jesus does for us. Both Moses and Jesus are appointed by God to, to, lead, uh, to lead their people to the promised land. For Moses, the actual promised land of Canaan, where the Israelites go. And for us, the promised land of, of the new creation of heaven, of being with Jesus forever. And so we can see clearly that Moses was pointing to, he was a type of Jesus. But even with all of his high status, 
even with all these comparisons. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more excellent. And this passage shows us why. There's a few things in here that, that, that we can point out. Um, I've lost my place. I don't know what's happened here. Firstly, uh, both Jesus and Moses were faithful to God, but Jesus was, the, was completely faithful. Jesus never sinned. You see, as good and faithful as Moses was, he still sinned. You can go back and read this in the Old Testament. There were times when he openly just disobeyed God. But Jesus was different. Jesus was completely faithful and completely holy and completely obedient. He never sinned. Never. He did what Moses could never do. He, he did his job without sin. Secondly, Moses was faithful in God's house, but Jesus built the whole house, you know? I love this, and it talks about that. So this idea of house here that's mentioned in chapter 3, he isn't talking about the temple or a church and like that. He's talking about the household of God. He's talking about us, the brothers and sisters, the holy brothers and sisters. And the reason that Jesus is, is worthy of greater glory than Moses is that, yes, Moses was faithful, and yes, he played a crucial role, but he was still only a member of the household. Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus created the house. Moses is himself just one of the people of God. But Jesus is the creator of the people of God. Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of God's people. Jesus is worthy of greater honor than Moses because Jesus made Moses. Thirdly, Moses was a faithful servant. We see, that, uh, we see that at the end of uh, verse 5. But, God, but Jesus is a son. See that at the start of verse 6. See, no matter how faithful and important a servant is, that, that they can never have the status of a son, right? Uh, the son inherits the house. The son owns the house. The son is the Lord and master over the house. And he provides for the family in it. He protects the family. And the point is that, yes, both Moses and Jesus serve the people of God, but, but what sets them apart is that Jesus is more than a servant. Jesus is a son. Jesus is the savior of God's people. Moses just served God's people. Fourth then, Moses testified of greater things to come, but Jesus is those greater things. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Now, the author of Hebrews isn't saying that the old covenant, that you know, Moses was this leader in that old covenant that, Jesus, that God had made with his people. He's not saying that Moses was bad. He's not saying the old covenant is bad. Moses was a very faithful servant in that. God spoke to him face to face, gave him that honor position. But the old covenant was temporary. It was the whole point and purpose of it was to point forward to uh, something greater, something to be spoken later. And the thing that was to be spoken later, these greater things to come, that's Jesus and everything else that he has brought in with him. This new covenant that we now live in. Moses and the old covenant weren't the point or the goal. They existed just to symbolize and point forward to Jesus. This is a theme that's the whole way through Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, and we're going to see this as we go along. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says that, that uh, the, the law of Moses was just a shadow, right? So if the law and Moses are just a shadow, then Jesus is the substance. 
And you see what this means? It means that he's going to great lengths to point out that the person they hold in highest regard doesn't get anywhere close to where Jesus is. There is nothing, there's nothing um, that Moses can do. There's nothing that can do for us what Jesus has done for us. There's no substitute for the work of Jesus in both revealing God to us and bringing us close to God. And, and honestly, I, I think we can be like the Hebrews here. Not, not that we like, think, oh yeah, Moses is the best thing since sliced bread, but I think we rely on our spiritual background, don't we? We rely on maybe other people or we rely on who we are and where we're from. You say, well, you know, my, my parents are Christians, so I'm probably okay. Or, well, listen, I, I was baptized as a baby, so that probably means I'm part of God's household. Or, or we think that, well, I, I go to this really good Bible teaching church. So, of course, I'm in the household, right? But this isn't enough. The, the Hebrews couldn't just rely on somebody else's faithfulness. Even somebody as great as Moses. They had to lay hold of Jesus for themselves. I don't know any other way to put it than like lay, t- grab onto Jesus for themselves. It's the same for us. We need to grab onto Jesus for ourselves. And it's just, it's just easy. Like, you know, you just rely on your, 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 your wife's faith or your friend's faith or your parents' faith or just the fact that you're part of village. But, but, but do, do we consider and meditate on, on Jesus more than anything else? Do we hold him in the highest place of honor? Because there's a warning here that comes in verse 6. It's because that Jesus is our apostle and high priest, because he's greater than Moses, that we need to continue in boldness and hope. Verse 6 says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his household, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is a warning here. This phrase, just hold fast our, our confidence and boasting and our hope. I was trying to distill it down and simplify it because it's odd language for us, but, but it, it just means literally something like continue on in boldness and hope. It, that's, the, that's the mark of Christians. We're bold in our hope and we're bold and we hope. Being bold in our faith in Jesus and the hope that we have in him. It's about living out what we believe, living lives that, that show that our trust is in the promises of God. It's about living out what we believe. And it's this that proves that we are part of God's house. If we continue in boldness and hope, that's kind of the proof that, that we consider Jesus more than anything else, that we, that we prove that we are members of God's household. Now, I want to be clear, because this isn't about doing certain things to get into God's household. That's not what this is about. We can never earn God's grace or favor. We can never work our way into being part of his household. But if, if we are part of his household, then our lives reflect that, right? And so the question then, the challenge is, do our lives demonstrate that we are part of God's household? If someone followed me around, shadowed me, 24-7 this week, would they say, well, there's a guy and, and, and he's 100% part of God's household. There's a guy who considers Jesus above everything else. Does the way that you live prove that you're actually one of God's children? Just, listen, just saying that you're a Christian doesn't actually mean that much at all. <laughs> and sometimes we think it is. 
I took a stand at work today because I said, you know, well, I'm actually a Christian. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if just saying you're a Christian actually means that much at all because anyone can say they're a Christian and not live a life that shows it, right? The New Testament is full of examples of this. People who said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm one of them, and, and, and they're not. According to Hebrews, if, if we're truly part of God's household, then our lives will have the evidence of that. Our lives will bear fruit of that. That's another word that the Bible uses to talk about living a Christian life and showing that you're part of God's family, that you'll bear fruit. It will be a defining feature of our lives. Like we looked at earlier, we will be marked by joy and thankfulness. That we will value the things that Jesus values. That we will be against the things that Jesus are against. That we will see as important the things that Jesus sees important. That we love our neighbors and care for the poor. That we are outspoken and active against injustice that we care for those in need, that, that we're, we're, never, we're never slow to, to give glory to Jesus in our conversations, in our actions. These things will define who we are because we have boldness, uh, that, that, that we have boldness through the fact that Jesus is our apostle and our high priest, that he's greater than Moses. We have boldness because we know that we are brothers and sisters who hold uh, a heavenly calling. A calling from heaven and a calling to heaven. We're sure of our identity and our destiny. We know that our destiny isn't uh, just about earning as much money as possible. It, it, it's a, our destiny is that we will reign over all of creation with Jesus forever. And so we can be bold. We can be confident. Because these truths never change no matter what happens to us. No matter what comes at us in life. So we can just be bold in confidence and in hope. Because of who Jesus is. Because of what he has made us. See? And the reason these truths never change is because they're not dependent on us, right? Who I am, who I am in God's eyes has nothing to do with me or or my ability to cling on to it. Our identity and our destiny are based on who Jesus is. And here's the the amazing thing, and this is where it comes full circle, and this is where I'm going to end. Jesus is the source of, of our boldness and our hope, right? Because who we are comes from him. He is the one who gives us hope, and he is the one who our hope is in. And so how do we continue in that boldness? How do we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope? The full circle is we do that by considering Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider who he is and what he has done. Consider his life and his death and his resurrection. Consider that he is God. Consider that he is man. Consider that he made the universe. Consider that he has defeated Satan. Consider his majesty and his glory. Consider all these things. Consider that he is our apostle and our high priest. Consider that he has brought, he has revealed God to us and he has brought us God, he has brought us to God. And I guarantee you, The more you consider Jesus, the more you will grow in confidence and in boldness, in boasting in our hope. Considering Jesus isn't just something that you do to become a Christian. Sometimes we think that. I think I heard, uh, maybe it was John Piper talking about this, that we sometimes say, you know, considering Jesus, would you you not consider Jesus like we're talking to a non-believer? And that's true. But considering Jesus isn't just something you do to become a Christian. It's the main thing we do as Christians. He's always on our minds, that he's always on our hearts, that he's always on our lips. It's the only thing that's going to sustain us through life. All the ups and downs, uh, in the ups, we give glory to Jesus for the joys. 
In the downs, we give glory to Jesus that he never leaves or forsakes us and that our destiny is secure. And that's, that's my invitation this morning, and it's the invitation of Hebrews. Let's just consider Jesus. Consider that he's our apostle. Consider that he's our high priest. Consider that he is greater than Moses. Consider Jesus. He built our house. And without him, we are and will be forever completely lost. So let's, I, I, I'm just hoping and praying that we will be a church who just consider Jesus, you know, think about him and meditate on him. In every situation, it's always Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you um, that you did not leave us in darkness, that you sent your own Son to both reveal who you are to us and to make a way for us to be with you again. Father, we pray that that truth uh, would would be sticking in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us. We need help to consider Jesus. There's so many things that distract us. Lord, the flesh really is, the, the spirit really is willing, but the flesh is weak. Help us make sacrifices in our lives to spend time with you, to spend time thinking about you, to spend time talking about you, to spend time praising you. Lord, I pray that you would cause our lives to be marked with joy and with thankfulness. Lord, we need you. We need to consider you uh, because we're totally lost without you, Lord. Jesus, we're just your children and uh, we need you to uh, lead us and give us nourishment uh, to protect us and to guide us and to raise us up. Yeah, Jesus, we love you. You're marvelous. You're wonderful. I pray that that your praise wouldn't be far from our lips and and that thoughts of you wouldn't be far from our minds. May May this be who we are, Lord, people who consider you. For your glory, amen.